0: So let's um, pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you so much that you are the God who has revealed the truth to us so that uh, it can be known. Uh, Please help us this morning to think clearly into what you've revealed about what it is to be truly spiritual. Uh, Please speak to us through your word and by your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is true spirituality? Uh, What does it mean to be truly spiritual? Uh, Who is the spiritual person? Who is the person who is in touch with uh, the spiritual, with the divine? Um, In every culture, there is someone who is considered to be the truly spiritual person. Or in pluralistic cultures like ours, there might be um, a range of people that we consider to be truly spiritual people. But in every culture, there's some sort of ideal of what the truly spiritual person is. And depending on what culture you're in, it will depend on what that person looks like. Uh, In some cultures, it will look like the witch doctor, the one who's in touch with the spirits that are in and around everything, who can bring blessings and curses upon people. Uh, In another culture, it might look like the person who fasts and prays and makes pilgrimage to Mecca. In another culture, it might look like the monk, who's withdrawn from the world, retreated to a life of simplicity and solitude in order to... um, disentangle themselves, to free themselves from all attachments so that they might become enlightened, one with everything. In some cultures it might look like the person who lives off the land, who gives thanks to Mother Nature for everything that they receive and who takes more, no more than is needed. In another culture, it might look like the person who has mystical experiences and dreams and visions. In our country, what do you you think might be what we consider the truly spiritual person? I'm not sure, but perhaps uh, you see on the TV a lot about the devout Muslim. Uh, Are they the truly spiritual person? Perhaps it's the person who communes with nature and is really in touch with the natural world. Uh, Perhaps it's the peaceful person, who meditates and does yoga and simultaneously holds down a high-powered job. And of course, there will be some who believe that there is no true spirituality because there is nothing that is actually spiritual or divine, uh, that this world is all there is. They're the materialists amongst us, those who believe just in the material. And so they believe when the end comes, that's all there is and there is nothing spiritual here or beyond. So who is the truly spiritual person? Who is the person who is truly in touch with the divine? And what am I about amongst Christian churches? Who do Christian churches tend to think the truly spiritual person is? Now there have been times in history where the truly spiritual person was seen to be the monk who withdrew from society and lived in a cave on their own and lived a life of self-denial or lived in a monastery and made power, um, um, vows of chastity and um, obedience and poverty. But I don't think there's many in our day and age who would think that that's what a truly spiritual person is. About 50 years ago, there was a big shift that took place in Australian Christianity, in Australian churches. A big shift towards understanding the truly spiritual Christian as the Christian who exercised supernatural spiritual gifts, particularly the gift of speaking in tongues. A gift, that they would say, uh, showed a deeper, richer, higher spiritual connection with God. Um, That they thought this was true spirituality. Now, this was just one segment of the Christian church. Um, But I think this continues in the background today. And interestingly, this is what the Apostle Paul is particularly dealing with in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, which we'll deal with over the next number of weeks. An issue that has been relevant in our lifetime was relevant and happening way back in Paul's day. Now I became a Christian in the aftermath of these times. In mainline denominational evangelical churches, a split had taken place. There had arisen many within these evangelical churches who believed that you could have a higher, richer, more connected to God, more spiritual Christian life that was evidenced and entered into by speaking in tongues. Now this issue had caused great division in these evangelical mainline churches and it actually led to splits so the people who believed these things had left these churches for other churches that embraced them particularly pentecostal or charismatic churches and left those who didn't believe these things though of course there were some who remained who did believe these things and their tension continued in some measure now i became a christian in the aftermath of these splittings around these issues um, about what it is to be truly spiritual And so I experienced some of the ongoing turmoil. Is the truly spiritual person, the person most in touch with God's spirit, the person most in touch with God, the tongue speaker? Now, over the years that followed, among the churches that held this view, Pentecostal charismatic churches, the view expanded, I think. So it didn't just include tongue speaking, Uh, that being the thing that declared someone to be a truly spiritual Christian. But in addition to tongues, all manner of exciting supernatural manifestations of the spirit. So tongues, prophecies, dreams, visions, ecstatic experiences, healings, slaying in the spirit, spirit running, spirit dancing, holy laughter, exorcisms, special words, secret words of knowledge. Now this is the area in which I spent a lot of my young Christian life. I wasn't in the churches that taught or embraced these things but I was regularly doing uh, ministry in school, I was doing youth ministry and so ministry in schools, scripture in primary and high schools, regularly interacting with people from churches who thought these things. Now is that right? Is the truly spiritual person, the person in touch with the divine, the one who exercises exciting supernatural manifestations of the spirit? dreams, healings, foreknowing prophecy, slaying in the spirit, spirit running, etc. I think over the time, this view of what it is to be truly spiritual, the person who exercises exciting manifestations of the spirit, um, is still around in these circles but has faded into the background. And I think a couple of other things have come to the fore. Who, Who is the truly spiritual Christian in some of these views of the world? Well, one is... The truly spiritual Christian is the Christian whose life is physically blessed by God. The truly spiritual Christian is is the one who is seen to have health and wealth and prosperity and success because they believe it's blessing for God. For many churches, that will be the mark of true spirituality. Now, is that the case? Is the truly spiritual person, the person in touch with God's Spirit, the Christian who is rich and successful and healthy and wealthy? Second direction, I think some of this thinking about what it is to be truly spiritual has shifted in these churches is in the realm of um, experience in singing. In some of these churches, um, they would believe that in the experience of singing, which they would call worship, we can be brought into a transcendent, mystical, supernatural, supernatural experience in the presence of God. The truly spiritual Christian is seen the cre- Christian who, in a moment of singing, Connects to God in a mystical, supernatural way. For many churches, that's the mark of true spirituality. Now, is that the case? Is the truly spiritual person the person in touch with God's spirit, the Christian who is the Christian who in a moment during singing connects with God in an overpowering supernatural mystical way? Who is the person or the church who is actually in touch with the divine? Who is the person or the church who is actually truly spiritual. What is true spirituality? Now this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is writing about in these verses. Open your Bibles to, to chapter 12 verse 1 and look with me right there, verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now in pretty much every recent English translation of the New Testament, verse 1 is translated something like we have in the NOV, now about the gifts of the Spirit. And I think this is one place where unfortunately the translators of the New Testament have made an interpretive decision that pushes us in one direction, a direction that isn't the most helpful. Now, it's not crucial, but it is helpful to know what's actually being said there. In the original language, the word gifts is not there. It literally says, now about spirituals. So the sentence more literally reads something like, now about spirituals brothers and sisters i do not want you to be uninformed now as an aside can i just say our translations are very good you can have great confidence in our translations of the bible in fact they're better all the time as new translations are made they're they're made by people with uh, great knowledge and they're made by groups teams of people working together bouncing ideas off each other not just one person you can have great confidence in them but sometimes on an occasion It's helpful to have someone point out what the original language says because the translators may have made some assumptions and I believe this is one of those cases. Paul is saying, I want to talk with you brothers and sisters not about spiritual gifts primarily, but about spiritual things. Now it could be spiritual people, but I think more likely spiritual things. He will speak to them about spiritual gifts. You can see verse 4, he'll get there which I think is why the translators have added the word gift to verse 1, even though it's not there, to try to be helpful and give clarity about what Paul's speaking about in the whole section. But I think that actually obscures what Paul wants to talk to them about. What he wants to talk to them about is actually a larger category. What he wants to talk to them about is spiritual things, about the things of the Spirit, now about what it is to be spiritual, now about spirituality. It's what we've been thinking about what what is true spirituality what is it to be truly spiritual back in chapter 3 verse 1 come with me there and it's worth worth flipping chapter 3 verse 1 paul uses the same word chapter 3 verse 1 brothers and sisters i could not address you as people who live by the spirit now again the word is just spiritual brothers and sisters i could not address you as people who are spiritual but as people who are still worldly mere infants in Christ. Paul says I want to talk to you Corinthian Christians like your spiritual people but I can't. You're not acting and thinking like you're spiritual so I need to, to treat you as if you are worldly. There are two types of people in the world. There are people of the world and there are people of the spirit. Worldly people and spiritual people. And Paul wants to say to them, because of their thinking and behaviour, I can't even address you as spiritual people. You're actually worldly people. See, Paul is concerned with something far bigger than spiritual gifts. He's concerned with what it is to be the truly spiritual person and not the worldly person. The person of God's spirit and not the person of the world. Paul here in chapters 12 to 14 is pursuing what it is to be the truly spiritual person. What are spiritual things really about? Not as narrow as just talking about spiritual gifts, though this is the key presenting issue in the church of Corinth, so he will spend a lot of time talking about spiritual gifts in general and the gift of tongues in particular. Now why does Paul need to do this? Because this is a church with problems. (laughs) As we've already seen, they had such problems that he couldn't call them spiritual, but he had to call them worldly. This is the church that had so many problems and so wrong thinking, uh, thinking, living in terms of Christianity that they were the upside down church which is why we've called the series Upside Down and they needed to be retaught so that they could be flipped right side up again. The Apostle Paul had received a letter from the church which outlined a bunch of issues but he'd also heard reports about the church and from the reports and from the issues that they're writing to him about he knew of a whole bunch of problems and has write, written this letter to deal with a whole bunch of those problems. In verse, chapters 1 to 4, uh, they were fighting over their leaders and Paul writes to address that. In chapters 5 to 7, they had all sorts of um, pagan, non-Christian ideas about sex and wrong practices about sex. In chapters 8 to 14, they had all sorts of problems around the church gathering and around what it is to be truly spiritual. And in chapters 15, they're confused about the resurrection. The understanding in their lives were upside down, way out of kilter with God's understanding, not spiritual, but worldly. And you can see in this second letter of Paul to the church in Corinth, he's responding to a number of issues. He says, you've written to me about these things and now I'm going to deal with them, this one, this one, this one. You can see it in uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Paul says... Now for the matters you wrote about. There's a bunch of things you've written about. I'm now going to deal with those. Then 7.25, now about virgins. Then 8.1, now about food sacrifice to idols. 12.1, now about spiritual things. Paul saying, let me speak to you about a number of topics that you have issues with. Now about this one, now about this one, now about this one now about spiritual things, one of the key topics they needed clarity around. But not just one of the key topics, an overarching key category. They were the worldly church and they needed to be taught what it was to be truly spiritual. A big part of their worldly way of thinking and living was that they thought they were spiritually superior to others. This is the church that was fired up By their spiritual gifts, and they had many spiritual gifts. In chapter 1, verse 7, you can see that there. But some of them in the church of Corinth were proud and felt they were superior because of the gifts that they had, supernatural gifts, particularly the gift of tongue speaking. In their minds, they were the truly spiritual people, and this was causing great division in the church. There were the haves who had those sort of spiritual gifts, and the have nots who had just ordinary spiritual gifts. And so the church was divided between those who thought they were truly spiritual and those they thought of as lesser spirituals, top-tier Christians, second-tier Christians. And so into this context of worldly thinking, of misunderstanding about the nature of true spirituality, of division within the church over who was the truly spiritual, Paul writes and says, okay, let's talk about spirituals. Let's talk about what it is to be truly spiritual. And in a moment, Paul will be very succinct and clear about what it is to be truly spiritual. But before we get to his answer, let's ask a question first. Why is there confusion around this? Why is there confusion around what it is to be truly spiritual in the world in general, but in churches in particular? And Paul gives a clear answer to that here. There's confusion around this because there's ignorance. There's confusion around what it is to be truly spiritual because there's ignorance. Have a look again at verse 1. Now, about spiritual things, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I do not want you to be uninformed. It's possible to have a wrong view of what it is to be truly spiritual because you're uninformed, you're ignorant. You need to be informed. You need to be educated on the truth. You need to be corrected. He doesn't want them to be uninformed. Like they were before they were Christians. Verse 2. You know that when you are pagans, somehow or other, you are influenced and led astray to mute idols. Paul says, you know when you are pagans, that is, before you are Christians, when you are not Christians, you know that when you are pagans, you were led astray. You were ignorant of what true spirituality is and you were going down all sorts of wrong paths. And so, verse 3, therefore, I want you to know. He wants to deal with what, he's going to deal with what he wants them to know in a moment, but he wants them to know something. He wants to teach them something. He wants to educate them about something to remove their ignorance. Paul is saying, I don't want you to be like you were When you are uninformed pagans, worshipping gods that were not gods at all, but rather to be informed, to be educated, to understand what true spirituality is. Do you see here, knowledge is important. Thinking rightly is important. Thinking rightly about spiritual things, about connection to God is critical. Because to think wrongly about these things is very risky. It actually risks cutting you off from connection with God. But the problem with humanity, all of humanity, is that by nature we are ignorant of true spirituality. By nature we're ignorant of true spirituality and the root cause is something very sinister. The root cause is that we as human beings are willfully ignorant. Willfully ignorant. That is, we don't want to know the truth about God. We don't want to know the truth about how to connect with God. We don't want to understand what true spirituality is. Now you might say, hang on, Graham. Of course people want to understand what true spirituality is. People all over the world, everywhere, are seeking for connection to the spiritual, connection to the divine, connection to the transcendent. You yourself went through a whole list of different people that people consider spiritual at the beginning. And can I respond? This sounds nice, But the reality revealed by God is far more sinister. Romans 1, God says there that what humanity is actually doing is suppressing the truth about God. Humans are crushing down the truth about God, forcibly pushing away the truth about God, denying, being willfully ignorant of the truth about God and how to connect with him. Because of our sinful hearts, we do not want God to rule over us. And so we crush the truth about God away and how we can connect to him. We willfully ignore it. And instead, we make up our own ways to connect with God. We create our own spiritualities, our own religions, our own forms of ritual, our own means of connecting with the spiritual or the divine. And though this might look like humans are actually earnest seekers after truly, the truly spiritual, what it actually is, is humanity fleeing the truth about connection to the one true God and creating false gods, false spiritualities, false ways to God. It's actually humanity's way of keeping away from God. Humanity is ignorant of true spirituality, willfully ignorant. And so Paul can say in verse 2, when you are not Christians, you are led astray to mute idols, that is false made up non-speaking gods. You are ignorant of what true spirituality is and going down all sorts of wrong paths. We did not know God. We didn't know how to connect with him because our hearts would not let us. We are ignorant. We are actually willfully ignorant. But the wonder of Christianity is that God in his goodness and grace has revealed us to him, to revealed himself to us. And in the message of Jesus, He's revealed himself to us fully and how we can be connected to him, to the one true God, to his spirit, to the truly spiritual. He's actually cut through our ignorant thinking about false gods and false spiritualities and shown what true spirituality is. And not only does God reveal himself so that we can know about true spirituality, this truth actually also has power. By believing the truth that God has revealed about himself and his son, it actually has power to connect us to the one true God. That's the wonder of Christianity. God is so good and kind and wonderful to a world that has rejected him, that has moved into willful ignorance about him, that he reveals himself so he can be known and connected to, but in such a way that the very message has power to reconnect us if we will just trust the message. However. As can be seen here it's still possible for christians to also be somewhat ignorant to be worldly in their thinking rather than spiritual like many in the corinthian church it is possible to know the truth about god and how to be connected to god and to have understood and embraced that in some measure but not to have comprehended enough not to have let it sink deep into our thinking and living it's possible to be a christian And to be wrong, to be ignorant about what true spirituality looks like because you haven't grown up in your thinking, because you haven't used your minds to understand what God has revealed. There's this um, great little book uh, by John Stock called Your Mind Matters. Each year when we uh, run our Generate program, we start the year by reading that book, Your Mind Matters. Great title, it is just so right. Our minds matter as Christians. We need to keep growing up in our thinking as Christians. In chapter 14, we'll get there in a few weeks, Paul says to the the Corinthians, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be children, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. Grow up in your knowledge and understanding of the truth that God has revealed and its implications for how we think and how we live. Grow to maturity, grow to adulthood, Don't continue to be a child. Uh, Instead, grow up by using your mind. And, And growing up in your thinking is not just thinking on your own about life and about God and coming to your own conclusions. No, no. Growing up in your thinking is thinking about what God has said to us, what God has revealed to us in his word, the Bible. He's revealed the truth to us, everything we need to know about him, And life and how we can be connected to him and how to live and how to think and about the nature of what it is to be truly spiritual and we need to switch our brains on and engage with him engage with his mind engage with his words to fully understand more and more what is said can I encourage you your mind matters in your thinking be adult thinking Christianity is actually healthy Christianity People worry about Christianity that it can become too cerebral, too much mind, too heady, too thinky. And this will make us into Christians who are actually heartless, all head, no heart, stoic, joyless, uh, boring, dutiful. No, no, we we can't become too cerebral. We can't become too thinky. We can't think too much on the word of our heavenly father to us. We can't dive too deeply into the truth that the eternal God has revealed to us. And if we do, we remain infants in our thinking and we can become ignorant of God and what he wants us to understand. It is possible to be dry and heartless and stoic and joyless and boring as Christians, but it's not from diving deeply into the life-giving word of our heavenly father. The answer is not to stop thinking. In fact, the deeper you think about God, the deeper and more profound you realise he is. The deeper your joy in the Lord becomes, the deeper your affections for him, the deeper the love and honour if you let him. Now, for some of us who have a bit more time, others don't, now for some of us is a great time to grow in your thinking. Now is a great time to feed your Christian thinking, to be deep in God's Word and taking the next steps. It's possible to look back over the last five years of your Christian life and find you actually haven't grown much in your thinking about God's Word. Now's a great time. Good Christian books, good Christian podcasts, good Christian um, sermons. Get into the upcoming streaming nights that are going to be available, on the couch and hot topics and whatever's available. But there's no substitute for reading the Bible and thinking hard about what it means. Can I encourage you to be thinking Christians? You can see what Paul's saying in these first couple of verses. Now about spiritual things, I I don't want you to be uninformed like you were before you are Christians. Therefore, I want you to know something. I want you to understand something. And the something is, verse 3. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Right there is what it is to be truly spiritual, to be in touch with the spirit of God, to be the spirit person. What is it? He wants them to know that true spirituality is having Jesus as Lord. True spirituality is having Jesus as Lord. And Paul doesn't mean, if you say the words, Jesus is Lord, then it's like this magic talisman that connects you to God. No, 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 no. It's not just that there's three magic words to say, Jesus Lord, then you're in touch with the truly true spirituality. And vice versa, it's not there's three bad words and make sure you don't say them. If you say Jesus be cursed, oops, I just said them, then suddenly you're, you're cut off from the Spirit of God. No, no, no. It's not just the words, it's what the words mean and mean to you. It's saying them as an expression of who you are. It's the test of your life. Do you claim and live with Jesus as your Lord? Because the only way that you can have Jesus as your Lord is if you have been born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And the only way you can be born again by the Spirit of God is if you've received Jesus as your Lord. And you cannot curse Jesus if you have the Spirit of God. What is true spirituality? Is Jesus your Lord? That's the test of whether you are of the Spirit of God. It's your attitude to the Lordship of Jesus. Not what spiritual experiences you have had. Not what gifts you possess or what you feel during singing or whether you feel blessed by God or any... True spirituality is seen in your attitude to Jesus. You cannot divide Jesus from his spirit. If you want to know who the truly spiritual um, person is, you ask, who is Jesus? Now, not that exciting, but that's how you know if you're a spiritual person. Is Jesus your Lord? Have you taken Jesus as the ruler of your life? Do you see who the truly spiritual person is, the person connected to God, the person in touch with God's Holy Spirit, it's every Christian. By definition, a Christian is someone who has Jesus as Lord. Who is the spiritual person? Every Christian. The Corinthians had a number in their church, as we've seen, who thought they were the spiritual elite because they had the amazing gifts, particularly the gift of tongues. They thought of themselves as the great spiritual group within their church. It brought the church into the haves and the have-nots. But Paul is going to deal with that in the next few weeks, gifts in general, uh, tongues in particular. But before Paul does that, he wants to lay a foundation. Um, The foundation he wants to lay is this. Every person who has Jesus Lord is the spirit Christian. Every Christian is of the spirit. Every Christian is truly spiritual. We are equal Regardless of what gifts we might have been given by God, if you track his thinking through the letter, uh, he says, "You may have all the gifts; you know, you, you're the gifted church." Chapter one, verse seven. But I can't address you as spiritual; you're worldly. Chapter three, verse one. Your thinking about these things is worldly. Tongues is not an evidence of the spirit uh, of true spirituality, nor is any spiritual gift or experience. No, Jesus, Lord. That's the evidence of the Spirit. The crucial thing is whether Jesus is your Lord. True spirituality is having Christ as Lord. Now, let's think about what this means for how we understand the world and how we understand the Christian life. Here are are four ways a right conception of true spirituality shapes our understanding. And the first is this. Firstly, it shapes our understanding of other religions and other spiritualities. Did you, sh- did you catch the sharpness of the implications of this for our understanding of other religions and spiritualities? There's only one God, there is only one Spirit of God and the only person who has God's Spirit is the person who has received Jesus as Lord. The only truly spiritual person, the one, only one who's connected um, to the one true God, the only person who is in touch with the Spirit of God is the person who has received Jesus as Lord. Do you hear the exclusiveness of Christianity? Jesus is Lord, ruler of all things, the only means of access to the Spirit of God, the only way to be truly spiritual. No other way to connect with the Spirit of God. No other way to connect with the one true God. No other way to heaven. Now, there are other other spirits, evil spirits, Who often masquerade as angels of light, as good and beautiful, while being evil and insidious. They are active in the world, it is possible to be in connection with them, influenced by them, whether you're aware of it or not. But there is only one way to connect with the one true God by his Holy Spirit, and it is to receive Jesus Lord. Now, to many, doesn't this just sound incredibly arrogant? Cry Can you really believe that your religion is the only true religion? Can you really believe that Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, worshippers of nature, mystics, spiritual people of all types have no real connection to God? How incredibly arrogant, which it is, unless it's true. And if it's true, then it's just true. And it's really important that people know the truth This sounds so arrogant, particularly in our climate of religious pluralism. Pluralism is the idea where there's a plurality of religious truths when it comes to spiritual things. They're all true. All religions, all mysticism, all spiritualities, Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam and Judaism, worship of nature, mysticism and its various types, spiritualities of various types, maybe even Christianity. They're all true. Sometimes people use the um, blind man and the elephant illustration to make the point. You, you may have heard it. A group of blind men come across an elephant. They've, they've never experienced what an elephant is before. They can't see what it is. And uh, so all they can do is um, touch, work out what it is by touch. One feels um, the trunk and says, ah, oh, it's a snake. One feels the leg and says "Ah it 's a tree, one feels the tail and says it's a rope. one feels the ear and says it's a fan. One feels uh, the side and says it 's a wall. one feels the tusk and says "Ah it's a spear and the point that the story is trying to make is this is humanity trying to understand the divine we 're all like blind men, each of us only understand a certain portion or a certain perspective, so we 're all right or all wrong or part right or but we 're all the same. Don't be so arrogant people who say there's one way to God. You're all right and all limited in your understanding. But I don't know if you notice the high horse that the pluralist is actually sitting on. They act like the one who is sitting above God-like the whole scene, looking down. They're the only ones who aren't blind. They're the only ones who can see the elephant and the people interacting with the elephant. Uh, We're like to them, whether they recognise that or not, the religious people are the ones who are blind and only see part, but they're the ones who think they see the whole picture. Um, The pluralists, if you ask me, their view is far more arrogant than the claim that the one true creator has revealed himself uh, in the way that he has determined. Pluralism is a religious claim just like any other and we need to weigh its benefits just like any other. And I think it's one that can shown to be easily, easily shown to be faulty. Or well, people say religion is like a mountain where God is at the top and we're at the bottom and there's lots of different paths up the mountain. We're all making our way up the mountain different ways, the different religions, the different spiritualities. But in the end, we all get to God or to Nirvana or to enlightenment or whatever you want to call it. But the reality is this, The mountain is actually cut in half, not vertically, but horizontally. I know physics doesn't make sense of this, but the top of the mountain is separated from the bottom of the mountain. We humans, by our rejection of God and willful ignorance, have actually cut ourselves off totally from God, and there is no way to God. There is no path up the mountain. It doesn't matter which religion or spirituality you take, none will get to the top. All humans are eternally cut off from God and hope and from true spirituality. But God in his incredible love sends his son Jesus, the spirit king, the one filled with the spirit. He comes and he dies in our place, taking the punishment we deserve for the way that we have mistreated God. He dies in our place and then he rises from the dead, defeating death, and he pours out his Holy Spirit on any who receive Jesus Lord. And it's like what God has done is he's thrown one bridge across the great chasm from the top of the mountain to the bottom. The bridge is shaped like a cross. There is now one path back to God, the path that God has created. The only path is by the death of Jesus on our behalf. And there is one way to cross that path and it is to receive Jesus as Lord because that connects us to God by the Holy Spirit to walk over the cross-shaped bridge. There's one way to connect with God by his spirit. Receive Jesus as Lord. Now, can I ask you today, if if you're listening in, you've never done these things, can I ask you today, give your life to Jesus. Let Jesus rule your life from now on. That's what it is to be a Christian. And if you do, his death and his resurrection will connect you to God by his spirit. You will become a person of the spirit in relationship with the eternal God now and forever. Second, secondly, these things shape our understanding of who the spirit person is. Every person is the spirit, or every Christian is the spirit person. Everyone with Christ as Lord is the spirit person, not some elite group in the church. Not two tiers of Christian, not the lower spirituals and the upper spirituals, not some with an inner track with God. It's not about having amazing supernatural experience or gifts, tongues, prophecy, dreams, visions, ecstatic experiences, healings, slangs in the spirit, spirit running, spirit dancing, holy laughter, exorcism, special words, etc. etc. It's not about being healthy, wealthy, successful, happy, which you believe is a result of God blessing you. It's not about transcendent mystical experiences of God in singing. These are the sorts of things the Corinthians thought and their thinking was worldly, or at least a group of them thought. They thought amazing supernatural gifts or experiences meant that they were the super spirituals. And Paul here at the very heart of this section wants to knock that on the head. No, no, no. If Jesus is Lord, your Lord, you are the spirit person. Every Christian is the spirit person. I don't know if you've ever felt totally inadequate in your Christian spirituality because you've chatted to people and they've shared their amazing supernatural spiritual experiences or their amazing supernatural spiritual gifts and they've told you about it in such a way that it's left you feeling, oh yeah, I'm just that little second tier, lower non-spiritual type Christian. It's very possible to feel that. This passage shouts, no, you are not inferior. If Jesus is Lord, you are fully in touch with the Spirit of God, you have the fullness of the Spirit. And whatever gifts others might have, whatever experiences they may have had, they are just normal Christians like you. And the amazing thing, the wonderful thing is that a nor- the normal Christian experience, there's nothing normal about it. It is about being in touch with the very Spirit of God and knowing God personally. Years ago, I knew some young guys from a uh, church near mine in Sydney um, I was in youth ministry, they were doing youth ministry. Each Friday night they would have in their church, um, youth church services. And at these services, these young guys, they would give um, prophecies predicting people's future and they'd speak in tongues. And they were seen as incredibly spiritual Christians um, by the people in their church. Then afterwards, these guys would go out and they'd drink and they'd take drugs and they'd hook up with girls. They didn't live with Jesus as Lord and in the end, They turned away from Jesus altogether. Now, I don't tell you a story to say that experience of tongues and prophecy rightly understood are not real or beneficial. They can be done appropriately, more of that in the coming weeks. But I say it to say the key is not whether you exercise supernatural spiritual gifts or have amazing spiritual experiences. The key is, is Jesus your Lord? And are you continuing to live with Jesus as your Lord? That's what the Christian does. They go on living each day in daily obedience to Jesus as their Lord. What is the proof of the Spirit's presence in your life? Practical, everyday submission to Jesus' Lordship. That is, are you today? Are you tomorrow? Are you the next day and the next week and the next month trying more and more to do what Jesus wants you to do as he's communicated in his word, the Bible? We need to keep growing in obedience to Jesus because the truly spiritual person is the person who lives with Jesus' Lord. And if you're not growing as a Christian who is more and more obedient to Jesus, be concerned. Because it may indicate, it may not, but it may indicate that Jesus is not your Lord. And if that's the case, you are not the person of the Spirit and not connected to God. Ongoing daily obedience to Jesus is what it is to be truly spiritual. Third, Thirdly, and flowing directly from the last point, these things shape our understanding around division in the church. It should not be. <laughs> if every Christian is the spirit person, this should destroy divisions amongst us. We are all equal if we have Jesus as Lord. There must not be the haves and the have-nots amongst us. It destroys spiritual superiority where you're looking down your nose at others. The Corinthians were so worldly in their thinking they had all sorts of divisions taking place. Divisions around leaders. My leaders are better than yours. Divisions around gifts. My gifts are better than yours. Exactly like the world around us, worldly. The spiritual thinking the Apostle Paul is trying to educate them into is, we are all equal if we have Jesus Lord. We are all spiritual, spirit people and there should be no division amongst us. No in crowd, no haves, no have-nots. All one in Christ Jesus. In fact... The Spirit of God is the spirit of unity and love. Four. Fourth and finally, it shapes our understanding of what the Spirit Church is like. What will the Spirit Church look like? Surely it'll be a church that talks about the Spirit all the time, the, the songs, the preaching, the people sharing. It'll all be about the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. The Spirit Church will talk about all the time about Jesus and making him as Lord. The Spirit Church will talk all the time about Jesus and living with Him as Lord. The Spirit Church talks all the time about Jesus and not about the Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants it that way. He wants it that way. Some have called the Holy Spirit the shy member of the Trinity in that He's not concerned with drawing attention to himself, but rather in wonderful humility and selflessness and, and in line with his role in the Godhead, he is concerned with drawing all our attention to Jesus as Lord. He is concerned with enabling us to understand the Bible, whose centrepiece is Jesus. He is concerned with enabling us to receive Jesus as Lord by new birth from the Spirit. He is concerned with enabling us to live increasingly with Jesus as Lord by making us increasingly holy. He is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is not concerned with drawing attention to himself, but drawing attention to Jesus, Jesus as Lord. Um, From time to time, I've um, been to theatre productions at the Capitol Theatre. And um, did you know, if you turn up early actually, you can get um, really cheap tickets if they haven't managed to sell them out. You may miss out totally, because they may have sold out, but if they haven't, you can get cheap tickets. So there's a tip, free tip if we ever get back to doing those sort of things again. Um, one production I was at was uh, Les Mis. It was great. It's an incredible story. But it was great, powerful, epic, moving, thought-provoking. And there were moments when the spotlight focused in on one person in such a way highlighting, drawing all the attention to, to them that it was just you and them. Yeah? The focus was all upon them. It was very powerful. And I have to tell you, I never once looked back at the spotlight. I never thought to look back at the spotlight. The purpose of the spotlight was to draw all attention to the key actor on stage. That's what the Holy Spirit does with Jesus. Now, I don't like comparing God the Holy Spirit to an inanimate object and every analogy for God is flawed. (laughs) But there's something helpful here. The Holy Spirit loves to highlight and draw all eyes to Jesus. He's like the great leader who is great in his own right but helps others to be trained up to have opportunity to be pushed forward so that they get all the attention and glory and he fades into the background and he rejoices in it. He's like the dance partner who dances in such a way to highlight and exalt his dance partner, to draw all attention and glory to them. Now these are all flawed, limited analogies for God the Holy Spirit, but hopefully they give you insight into who he is and what he works for. The exaltation of Jesus, God the Son, Jesus Lord. What will a spirit church look like? Surely there'll be encouragements of miraculous things to be taking place everywhere and amazing mystical experiences. No, no, no. The spirit church will encourage obedience to Jesus Lord and will be growing in obedience to Jesus Lord because the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, That's what the spirit of Jesus is concerned about, a godly Jesus-like life, because that's what obedience to Jesus, Lord, looks like. The spirit church will be a church where there is love for one another that overflows, and we'll hear about this in the coming weeks. What is true spirituality? True spirituality is having Jesus, Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit who caused us to be born again so we can receive Jesus, Lord. Thank you that if we have Jesus as our Lord, we are spiritual people, fully connected in a relationship with you. Please, Father, draw those today who don't yet have Jesus their Lord to bow their knee to him. And please, Lord, enable those of us who do have Jesus, Lord, to continue to live in him day by day. Please enable us to continue to grow up in our thinking, as become adult in our thinking, working hard at understanding your word and what it has to say to us. Please enable us to live in unity and humility and love for one another. And please enable us to live every day making much of Jesus as Lord. And we pray this in his name. Amen.